Now, like I said, today we're in part three of our armor series, and what we're doing in this series is we're exploring some of the profound words from the Apostle Paul that he wrote at the end of this letter that he wrote to a church that was in Ephesus. So this letter is called Ephesians, and I would like us to imagine that we are that church together. Okay, so imagine that Paul has come to Flagler County. He started our church. All of us have benefited greatly because of Paul's influence in our lives. And we know that Paul has moved on. He started other churches in other parts of the world. And then we find out that Paul is in prison in Rome. So we send some encouragement to him, and Paul sends us a letter of encouragement back. So just imagine that we are that church. And we are reading this letter together and we're trying to figure out how to apply this because like, we know this stuff is so important. So listen to how Paul concludes his letter in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, Paul tells us four primary things out of this passage. We've looked over the past several weeks together at three of them, but we're going to review them, and then we're going to look at the fourth thing. So the first thing that Paul tells us is that we're in a battle, and we're not just in any battle. This isn't a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle, and the stakes are so high. You know what's at stake? is people's eternities. Scripture says that all of us will live forever somewhere, somewhere. We will either live forever with God or apart from God. And so this battle that we engage every day, whether we recognize it or not, is a battle for people's eternities. God wants everyone to live forever with him because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's the battle that we're in, and the stakes are very high. Number two, he tells us that we have a real spiritual enemy. His name is Satan. And I don't know what you believe about Satan. There are a lot of people who don't believe in him. They think that that's like a Halloween character that religious people made up to maybe scare people to, to stay in line. But Jesus believed in Satan. He actually created him. He didn't create him as Satan. created him as Lucifer, the, the most beautiful angel. But Lucifer didn't like his position. He wanted more. And God said no to him. So he fought against God. And he got demoted from Lucifer to Satan He's a fallen angel, and Satan means adversary. He hates God, and he hates everything that God loves. Guess who God loves? He loves you. So guess who Satan hates? He hates you. He wants to fight against you. So Paul also tells us we need to know how our enemy attacks us. He attacks every day, whether you recognize it or not. Some moments we recognize it. 
And I'm curious, has anybody else like felt an increased level of spiritual attack in your life since we've started this series? Anybody else? Anybody besides me? All right, a few of you, okay? I have experienced that in my life. And uh, I've been teasing with some friends and I, I've told my friends, you know what, after this series, we're gonna do a whole month on health, wealth, and prosperity. That God just wants us healthy, wealthy, and wise. Because you know what? Like the enemy's kicking my butt on some days. Um, you know, it's easy to think that. But when we engage a spiritual battle, we actually get stronger. And we need to learn how to get stronger. So we've got to know how our enemy attacks us. And the fourth thing that we need to know is how to use God's armor to fight against our enemy. That's what we're talking about in this series. And each week, we're taking a piece of God's armor and learning how to use it more effectively. We started last week with the belt of truth. And I hope that you were able to spend a little time processing some of the ways that Satan attacks you and how you can replace that with truth. And hopefully you were able to write your own truth statement uh, from our, our topic last week. Now, like I've said each week in this series, you need to know that this series specifically is primarily for Christ followers. So if you're a Christ follower, I hope you'll lean in. Because uh, what we're learning together is so critically important. I think the days of casual Christianity are gone. Like, I don't think we can just be casual, comfortable Christians any longer and grow in our relationship with God and do what God has asked us to do. Again, I think those days are over. I think we have to be serious about our faith, serious about applying the truth of scripture to our lives and living that truth on a regular basis. So again, if you're a Christ follower, this is primarily for you. If you're not a Christ follower, don't think that this isn't for you. You, you might be exploring faith. And I, I want you to know that what we're going to talk about today can be a game changer for you and your relationship with God. I mean, really, a game changer. Today could be the day that you go, I've never seen that before. I never understood that before. And today could be the day that you take a big step towards God, or even start a relationship with him because of what we're going to learn today. So whether you're a Christ follower or not, I hope everyone will lean in just a little bit as we learn what we're going to learn. Now, here's a picture of a Roman soldier and his armor uh, that would signify what Paul uh, would have seen in his day when he would look at Roman soldiers and what they're wearing. So again, we talked about the belt uh, last week. We've got the body armor we're looking at this week. We've got the shield. Uh, we've got the helmet. We've got some his sandals, shoes known as the shoes of peace. The only thing we're lacking in this picture is the sword of the spirit, but we will be talking about that as well. So when it comes to the body armor, uh, for a Roman soldier, you can tell that would protect their, their midsection. That would protect their vital organs. And for a Roman soldier, you know, if they got cut on the arm or they took an arrow to the leg, they could probably survive that. But if they took an arrow to the chest or they took a deep cut to their midsection, most likely they wouldn't survive that. So body armor was a significant piece of a Roman soldier's armor that they would wear. And I want you to listen to what King Solomon said about protecting our vital organs. This is a third king of the nation of Israel. And he said in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, he said this. He said, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So Solomon says, like, the most important thing that you can do is to protect your heart. 
because a damaged heart will end up leading us on a path that will not be good for us. It'll lead us on a path that we may stay on for a very long time. So he says, the most important thing we do is guard our heart, and that is a vital organ for us. So when you think about our heart, like what is our heart? It's kind of the core of who we are. It's our, our will, our desires, our emotions are wrapped up in that. It's the core of who we are as human beings. And I wonder, are you guarding your heart? Are you guarding your heart? Are you protecting it from hurtful things and hurtful people? You know, I know it's hard to avoid all hurtful things and all hurtful people. But if we allow ourselves to consistently be in those relationships, consistently be in those environments, again, it creates heart damage. And that heart damage affects how we live and the path that we live on and and the, the choices that we make on that path. So I wonder, are you protecting your heart from hurtful things and and hurtful people? Then what about negative thoughts? What about that deception that the enemy whispers to you? I told you last week that one of the, the lies that the enemy whispers to me on a regular basis is that, Trent, you're not good enough. And when I believe that, I get on the treadmill of performance and I run really hard on that treadmill thinking that one day maybe I'll attain that good enough status. If, if I work really hard, maybe if I hit this perfection status, maybe I'll, I'll feel like I'm good enough. When I recognize that as a strategy of the enemy and I replace that with God's truth, understanding that I'm good enough because of what Christ has done for me on the cross, I stop running on the treadmill. So what about you? Are you protecting yourself from those negative thoughts that the enemy launches at you on a daily basis? If you protect yourself, it will help protect your heart. Here's another question. Are you following your heart or are you leading your heart? It's another one of the half-truths or outright lies that the enemy has whispered to our world. And you hear this all over our world. This is the message our world tells us. Follow your heart because your heart will always lead you to a great place. Anybody besides me know that's a lie? Why? Because I have followed my heart a few times and it has led me to some terrible places. So we don't need to follow our hearts. We need to lead our hearts. There are many ways that we can protect our hearts, protect our, the vital organs of who we are, and wearing God's body armor of righteousness can help us do that. Now, I don't want you to answer this next question out loud, but I want you to think about the word righteousness and how you would define it. So how would you define righteousness? And when you think about a righteous person, who do you think of? So again, don't say anything out loud, but just take a second to think about that. I'll tell you what I think about when I think about righteousness. I think, that's not me. When I think about righteousness, I think about someone who's perfect in everything they do. And because I know I'm not perfect, I think, well, I I certainly can't be righteous. And so often we think that's the definition of righteousness, that it's about perfection, but that's not what righteousness means. Righteousness does not mean perfection. It basically means doing what you know is right. Doing what you know is right in any given moment. And righteousness is based on two things. It's based on right beliefs and it's based on right behavior. So we're going to start with right beliefs for a moment. And to do this, we're going to go back 
to the first book of the Bible, which is the book of Genesis. And we're going to watch this interaction between God and a man named Abram. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, God came to a man named Abram, who later was renamed Abraham. And God made this covenant promise to him. This is the deepest of all agreements. And God said to him in uh, Genesis 12, 2, he said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. This is known as the Abrahamic covenant. And I want you to listen to how uh, Abraham responded in Genesis 15, verse 6. It says, and Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So how could God consider Abram righteous? Feel free to answer out loud, based upon this verse. Because of his faith. Who is his faith in? His faith was in God. So God counted Abram as righteous because of his faith in God. So if you're a Christ follower, do you believe that God keeps his promises? Do you believe that God makes eternal life available to anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Do you believe that? Do you believe what Jesus said in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that eternal life is only available by surrendering our heart, our will, our lives to Jesus because of what he has done on the cross for us? Do you believe that one day Jesus will come back and end all war and end all disease and end all the stuff that we've screwed up here on planet earth? Do you believe that one day Jesus is coming back? If you believe that, I think God will do for you and I what he did for Abraham. And he will count that as righteous and righteousness in your life because of your belief in him, not your belief in you, not your belief in me, but our belief in him. Now, here's where I want you to, to kind of lean in a little bit because what we're going to learn next is crazy. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This is the Apostle Paul talking about righteousness. And listen to what he says. He says, God made him who had no sin, meaning Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so let that settle for just a minute. God made him, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, never once made a mistake, God made him to be sin, to become sin, to become sin. He became every sin that was ever committed, whether big or small. He became my sin and became your sin. You know, that that stuff that you think is so big and so evil and so, so bad that it could never be forgiven, Jesus became that sin, took that sin onto himself. Those little sins that we overlook and think, oh, that's not really that big of a deal. That's a big deal because it separates us from God, even those little sins, those big sins. Jesus took that on as if he had committed those sins. And who did, who did he do that for? For us. He did that for us. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. 
We might become the righteousness of God because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's a truth that many people don't understand. And so often we think righteousness is about our behavior. It's about right behavior. But Paul comes along and says, God made righteousness possible because of Christ's behavior. Anybody excited about that today? We should be so excited about that. And the reality of this righteousness that Paul talks about here in 2 Corinthians 5 is found in this really big religious term called imputed righteousness. And if you're like new to faith, you might think imputed what? Even if you're not new to faith, uh, we don't use that, use that word a whole lot. So let me explain imputed righteousness this way. Has anybody ever been broke before? Anybody besides me been broke? Like, I don't mean like you didn't have much money. I mean, you had no money, all right? You were broke. Anybody been broke before? All right, so um, I want you to imagine with me, let's imagine that we are all broke, okay? We have no money in our wallet, and I'm gonna give you $5 in your bank account because you have to have $5 to keep an account open, okay? So you got five bucks in your bank account, which means you got no bucks in your bank account because you can't use it, all right? So let's imagine one day, like you're, you're feeling good and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna go online, I'm gonna check my bank account. I'm gonna see if the interest I've accued, or accumulated with this $5 has grown to like three cents. You know, like maybe I could do something with that three cents. So you go online and, and you check your bank account and you find out your bank account says you have $10 million in it. Okay, $10 million, $10 million, $5 and three cents. You've got some accumulation that happened. Okay, so imagine that's happened. All right, so you see that, and you're thinking, like, this is crazy. Somebody's made a mistake. All right, this is crazy. Like, what do I do? Like, I don't uh, want anybody to find out the mistake that they've made, so I hope that they don't. So you're excited, and then you're a little bit uh, upset and confused and fearful because this is about to be taken away from you once they figure out this mistake. Finally, you come to your senses, and you're like, all right, you know what? i got to make a phone call. This is obviously a mistake. So you pick up the phone, you call the bank. Bank teller says, um, no, sir, no, ma'am. That's no mistake. President of the bank, deposit that into your account this morning. That $10 million is yours. No one will take it away from you. Enjoy your weekend. So what would your response be if that were true? Yeah, pretty excited. Um, if that happens to you, it does occasionally happen. We hear glimpses of that in the news every once in a while. Usually they correct it. But if that happens in your life, would you let me know? <laughs> I'd like to be your friend. Like we're planning on building a building, you know, here in the future. Love to know you uh, as we plan on that. But here's the crazy thing. This scenario is real, spiritually speaking. So when we put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, believing that he died to pay our sin debt, God deposits Christ's righteousness into our lives. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see an empty bank account. He doesn't see spiritual poverty. He sees $10 million. He sees Christ's riches, Christ's righteous riches in your bank account. And if we really understood that, it would change how we live. It would change our interaction with God. Now, here's where right beliefs and right behavior intersect. Right beliefs about God, about how he views us, should translate into right behavior, 
So if we really understood that, if we really understood how God sees us, we would live a little different. We might get off the treadmill of performance, trying to earn uh, our righteousness or earn God's favor. We would stop doing that, and we would rest in the abundance that God has given us because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. Now, here's a funny example of right beliefs and wrong behavior. So a few years ago, Tammy, my wife, needed to see a cardiologist for something that we were exploring for her. There were some issues we had to chase down, and so we had an appointment with the cardiologist. The cardiologist came in, explained to us how she could have a great, healthy heart and live a great life with that healthy heart. And when Tammy and I walked away, we both kind of said to each other, that doctor doesn't believe what he's saying. Why? Because he smoked heavily. He was about 100 pounds overweight, and he just finished a donut. Okay, so we're listening to this guy talking about all these great things we could do to have a great, healthy heart, and we're going, in our minds, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. Otherwise, you would be doing it. You'd be applying it to your life. And, you know, it's kind of fun to sit on the outside and, you know, poke fun at other people, but here's the reality. I am just like that doctor. You are just like that doctor. We all have areas of our lives where our belief doesn't match up with our behavior. We all have to learn to align those things a little bit better. So if you're a Christ follower, do you really understand that God has put Christ's righteous riches into your bank account? Like, Do you really get that? Do you understand that? Do you you really believe that God the Father looks at you the same way he looks at his dearly loved son? He thinks about you just the, the, the exact same way he thinks about Jesus. Do you understand that? Again, if you do, it would change how you'd live. And it doesn't mean you'd live a perfect life. It doesn't mean that. 1 John 1, 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he, meaning God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we all mess up. We all do wrong things. God knows that about us, but when we confess those things to him, he cleans us from that. He makes us righteous again. So righteousness isn't about perfection. It's about making things right when we mess them up. And it's about resting in Christ's righteousness that he's made available to us. So here's a few closing questions for you to reflect on in your life. Question number one, are you believing right things about God in yourself? Are you believing right things about how God views you. God is crazy about you. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you so that your bank account could be full. Like, do you understand that? If you do, it should change how you live. Question two, if you're a Christ follower, is there anything that you need to confess to God? Is there anything you're doing right now that you know it's not right? You're 
maybe in a relationship you shouldn't be in. Maybe you're, you're doing some secret thing, thing that, that you're ashamed of. Is there anything that you need to confess to God so he can clean you from that unrighteousness? Then listen to James 5.16. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, not a perfect person. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So not only does God want us to confess our sins to him, but he wants us to confess our sins to other people who can help us on the journey. And I know that is one scary thing. But I've applied it this week. So in preparation for this message, I recognized that there were a few things in my life that were out of balance, where my beliefs and my behavior weren't lined up. So I confessed that to God. I went to a trusted friend, and I confessed that to my friend. And I asked my friend, will you help me? Will you help me more align those things? And I'm so grateful for that friend. That friend's praying for me. And this scripture tells us that a prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and can help us in those moments. So is there anything in your life that you need to confess to God or and confess to someone else? Third question. If you aren't a Christ follower, what is holding you back? Like, why, why aren't you putting your faith in Jesus? He's not up in heaven demanding that you live a perfect life before you can enter a relationship with him. He says, no, like, I lived that perfect life for you. So don't worry about cleaning up your life and then come to, come to me, like, come to me. Put your faith and trust in me and I will help you clean up your life. I'll help you learn to live this righteous life that we're talking about that can protect the vital organs of who you are and help you become a little bit more like Jesus every day. So what's, what's keeping you from that? Is there a doubt that's keeping you? Well, get some answers for that. There are real answers for those questions. And I think for some of you, like you might be at that spot where you're just kind of at the edge of the cliff where you know like you just need to step into this. You need to, to put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've tried it all yourself and you can't do it anymore. Today just might be the day for you. You take the biggest step of faith that you've ever taken in your life by putting your heart into Jesus' hands and inviting him, him into your life. So I'll come back to that in a minute. So in summary, wearing God's body armor of righteousness is about right beliefs and right behavior. First, it's about understanding how God sees us. It's about understanding what Christ has done for us. That when God looks at us, he looks at us the same way he looks at God the Son because of what he's done on the cross for us. When he looks at us, he sees a full bank account. He doesn't see spiritual poverty. Then we shouldn't try to earn righteousness, like earn it, thinking like we can be good enough and reach that level of perfection one day where we'll be recognized by God like we can. It's not possible. That's why Jesus came. So we should just live in response to it. And we should work hard to more align our beliefs and our behavior. That's a little bit more of what it means to live righteously and do right, do what we know is right in every given moment or any given moment. So here's what I encourage you to do this week. I encourage you not only, as we said last week, to put on the belt of truth, 
So symbolically, put on the belt of truth every day and tell God, God, I'm going to live by your truth today. I'm going to search for truth. I'm going to listen for truth. I'm going to speak truth. I'm going to hear truth. I'm going to live by truth. And then while you're getting dressed, after you symbolically put on the belt of truth, put on the body armor of righteousness and, and, and tell God, God, I'm going to live today the way that you see me. I'm going to live the way that you see me. I'm going to do what you, ask me, you are asking me to do, and I'm going to live in response to your amazing grace. So let's pray together. God, I thank you for this powerful truth from the Apostle Paul that you spoke through him, even though it's several thousand years old. Lord, we can still benefit from it today. It is still applicable for us today. Lord, we're still in a battle. We still have a real spiritual enemy who's attacking us on a regular basis. We need to know how he attacks us, and we need to know how to use this armor that you make available to us. So I'm grateful for the belt of truth. I'm grateful that we can fight against Satan's lies with your truth. I'm grateful for the body armor of righteousness that can protect the vital organs of who we are. And Lord, I'm grateful that it's not about us living perfect lives. Jesus, you did that for us. It's about us resting in what you've done for us. It's about us more aligning our beliefs and our behavior and living in response to your amazing grace. As we continue to pray, I'm just curious if there's anybody here, whether on campus or online, willing to say, you know what, if I'm honest, my beliefs and my behavior haven't really been aligning with each other recently, and I know there's some things I need to fix. So if, if that's you, would you hold up your hand for just a second? Thank you. I see hands all over. I see hands all over. Thank you for that. So God, I, I pray for these people, Lord, that they would, even in this moment, confess that to you and just run to you and say, Lord, I, I've messed up. Forgive me. And Lord, you're faithful. You're just. You will forgive us when we run to you in those moments, and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, make us righteous again. And then, Lord, I pray for these folks to maybe have a conversation with somebody this week who can hold them accountable and help them live the life that they desire to live in, that you desire for them to live. As we continue to pray, if you aren't a Christ follower, just want to remind you that Jesus died so that you could start a relationship with him that would last forever and so that you could receive his righteousness into your life, into your bank account. And if you sense this is the moment that that God is, is drawing you to him, I encourage you right now to have a conversation with him that, that could go like this, where you admit to him that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Guess what? He won't be surprised. He won't be shocked by that declaration. That's what he's waiting for, is for us to admit, you know what, God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And then you follow that up by telling him that you believe Jesus is that savior who died so you can live. And if you ask him to come into your heart, come into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior, he will respond. The creator of the universe will respond. 
He will step into your life and he will teach you how to live a little bit more like Jesus every day. So I'm curious, as as we're praying, is there anybody here willing to say, you know what, that's me. Like, I've never done that before. I need to make that decision. I'm making that decision right now. If that's you, would you hold your hand up? Just hold your hand up for, for one second. Just hold it up high. Now, I don't see any hands that are being held up here, which either means everybody's done that or that means somebody's still deciding. And maybe there's some folks watching online that are making that decision. Either way, I encourage you to admit to God that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Tell him that you believe Jesus is that Savior and then ask him to come into your heart. If you do that, he will. So God, I thank you for the promises that you've given us. I thank you that you're a God who keeps your promises, that that we can trust in you. And I'm thankful that, that you pour righteousness into our empty bank accounts, kind of like you did for Abram when he believed in you. He believed that you would keep your promises. So Lord, we believe that you will keep your promises. And we're grateful that you'll do that. So God, I pray that you would guide us throughout the rest of this week, Lord, that that we would wear the, the belt of truth, we would wear the body armor of righteousness, and we would engage the spiritual warfare that's around us every day. Open our eyes to that and help us to use your armor effectively. In Jesus' powerful name, we say, amen. All right, everybody, I wanna thank you for being here today with us. Typically, we uh, end with a song, um, but today we aren't. Uh, So what I encourage you to do is if you aren't new, like if you're a regular attender, this is your church home, remember, I'm asking you to to consider your involvement in our church family. So take your Get Involved card over to our Get Involved table and have a conversation uh, with someone. And if you are new, like if you've just been coming for a few weeks, you're brand new, we haven't had a chance to meet, I would love to meet you today. And I'll be right up front at the end of the service. So if you would, just come on up and introduce yourself. I'd love to welcome you to our church family. So thanks for being here, everybody. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.